Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and welcome to another edition of RegWatch on GFN.TV. For millions of smokers across the world, it's a love-hate relationship with their favorite brand of cigarette. You love the taste and the feel in your hand and on your lips, and of course, there's the nicotine with that sweet rush and ever-so-calm feeling. So what's the problem? Well, smoking is likely killing you, and you know it, but it's so hard to quit. Which is why public health's war on vaping is so odious to the tens of millions of former smokers who quit thanks to vaping. Joining us today to discuss consumer advocacy for nicotine vaping products is Jeffrey Zamora, Director of Social Media at INCO, the International Network of Nicotine Consumer Organizations, and board member at ARDT Ibero-America, a consumer advocacy organization that promotes and defends tobacco harm reduction in Latin America. Jeffrey, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Brent. So before we dive into vaping advocacy in Latin America, tell us, did you love smoking? Well, I did enjoy it a lot, to be honest. You know, I, I smoked for 17 years, so that means that I really like it, right? <laughs> uh, I used to smoke a couple packs a day, almost 40 cigarettes per day. So I did enjoy it, especially if he was uh, attached to some other activities, perhaps a beer, a wine, something. You do like the how it goes, how it pairs together. So yeah, I quite enjoy it, to be honest. So tell us about your journey from smoker to vapor. Um, I didn't want to quit smoking, to be honest. I knew, you know, from the millions of campaigns and things that are around and information that it was actually an obviously a not a healthy habit. Um, but I didn't want to quit. So I bought a vape device, uh, an eagle like vaping from the old days uh, to reduce the number of cigarettes that I smoke or to smoke uh, or to use it on the places that I could not smoke. Um, so I didn't want to quit. It was, it was kind of an accident, to be honest. And I bought a vape pen. Uh, then I bought another kind of a mod. And then I quit without even thinking, you know, pretty much I just stopped smoking and start using the, the vape device a lot more. So yeah, it was kind of an accident. <laughs> you are the quintessential accidental quitter. Exactly. Yeah, I even uh, I even carried a, um, a pack of cigarettes in my car for months, just thinking that it, I might have the need to smoke a cigarette at some time, you know, perhaps when I was having a couple beers or out with some friends or something. But the pack, I, I pretty much end up giving it away because I never I never smoke again. <laughs> That's amazing. And so then there's one more interesting part of this is that you were also an accidental vaping advocate. Tell us about that. Yeah, kind of. And the thing is that I saw that it was so easy for me to quit, right? Even though that I have tried before a couple of times and I didn't succeed on it. I tried quitting smoking perhaps a few months before I bought my vaping device and a few years back and it didn't, it didn't work out. <laughs> I was not able to. So I, uh, I found so easy to quit through this harm reduction alternative that I got kind of speaking about it. Uh, even, you know, I started sharing on social media 
that I found this, that it was so easy to quit with. And I start kind of at, you know, the advocacy just by telling my testimony that I think that is most, that's probably how most of the uh, advocates out there start, right? Just telling them, okay, this works. Let me tell the people that I know about it. <laughs> so I, that's how I started. And uh, sometime, you know, I started sharing uh, news that were coming out. At that time, it was the time that it, the kind of the news explode regarding this harm reduction alternative, you know, with uh, UK being at the forefront and with all the science and stuff. So uh, it got really easy to start sharing information. And that's how I kind of entered the space of advocacy, I think. So you're based in Costa Rica and run the Vaping Association there. Is Costa Rica vape friendly? That's a tricky question. <laughs> it is vape friendly if, it, if you count that it is legal to commercialize vaping devices and to use vaping devices here. Whatsoever, we do have a war uh, when it comes to some entities trying to overregulate, overtax this uh, healthier or safer alternative. So, it is on the eyes of the Ministry of Health, they're trying to make people to stop uh, vaping. They're actually giving misinformation out. And on top of that, we have the Bloomberg funded entity that is pushing a false narrative in order to get to the impression, you know, to people to kind of think that it's, it, is, it is as harmful as smoking, uh, smoking cigarettes. So, yeah. It's friendly, but I think we could do better. <laughs> so when you look at, you know, all of Latin America, of course, huge, right? It's massive. How popular is vaping in Latin America? Within the, let's say, perhaps last six years, five years, perhaps, it got really popular. We have uh, huge communities, for example, on Argentina that is close to a million uh, people actually vaping. Uh, in Mexico, that is close now to 1.5 million that is already vaping, even though that both of those countries is illegal to commercialize. And so the community in Latin America have grown a bunch. It is is actually pretty massive. In Colombia is another country that has a lot of people that actually have switched from smoking to vaping now. So yeah, it, it become pretty popular, especially I will say that within the 25 to 44 years old, I think it have been really popular. How much of a problem is smoking in Latin America? Say, you know, versus what might be the case in North America? Well, like, you know, and probably like you, a lot of people that are watching uh, this episode know 80% of the people that smoke and uh, that will actually die of a uh, tobacco related illness uh, are located on, on low and middle income countries. So Latin America, um, it is part of that. So we do have a problem when it comes to smoking um, that it goes, depending on the country from 10% to 30%, depending on the country, you will find this prevalence of smoking. Tell us about this commercialization issue. You've mentioned that a couple of times. So what exactly is going on in terms of the legal status? Let's just say, you know, between Mexico or Argentina, Brazil and so forth. When it comes to Latin America, um, you will find laws that actually prohibit the commercialization of the product, but not the use. So it is legal to use it, 
whatsoever not for if anybody uh, anybody starts a business or starts selling this kind of products uh you can get fined or you can even go to jail depending on the country so it is quite a difficult thing you know to understand how a person can use it and how they will get it if the commercialization is forbidden so it was banned. It is quite difficult to understand what rationalization uh, those regulators had at the moment that they did the law. So unfortunately, it is quite a cumbersome. <laughs> now, does that mean then, uh, let's just use Mexico as an example, that if you are a consumer in Mexico, you're now no longer able to find nicotine vaping products or can you still find them? Oh, you're going to find them a lot in black markets, a lot. The black market in Mexico is huge. Uh, unfortunately, the president of Mexico, Manuel Lopez Obrador, uh, made a presidential decree that had been established as anti-constitutional, uh, even though he didn't care that it was against the constitution to enact this decree and uh, make it legal to commercialize a product. So people are gonna be able to find it on the black market, which is massive. Um, there's some people are saying that actually the black market uh, or the at the moment that the, this decree happened, a lot of the people from the drug cartels kind of took over a little bit of the commercialization of the product because obviously there's a demand. This uh, There's around 1.5 million people that actually are wanting to consume this product, that are looking for a safer alternative to smoking or to like, just to substitute the cigarette. So... Uh, at this present time, obviously, the demand is looking for somebody to supply it. Mexican drug cartels getting involved in uh, vaping uh, distribution can't be a good thing. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all, Brent. And, you know, and it is kind of a paradox because, for example, we have seen what the, the war on drugs may uh, did to Mexico, right? And now the Mexican president is kind of putting their into a bigger, better business. I don't know if I can say a business that, you know, at least I, maybe it's not a better business, but or bigger business, but it's more business for them, right? Um, at this present time, for example, there's been um, uh, news about vending machines, then people that don't know who it is or, or don't know who is putting them or who's uh, responsible is um, vending machines in Mexico that you can actually buy the vapes, uh, the vaping devices from. And obviously you don't need an ID to buy uh, an e-cigarette from a, a vending machine. So are you still able to go into retail shops and buy product? You're not able to go to a, any retail shop. You're not able to have a retail shop and you're not able to import the product to be able to sell it in Mexico or uh, let's say Mexico, let's say uh, Panama, uh, let's say Brazil, uh, let's say Argentina. Um, you're not able to, at this present time, to have any commercialization of the product. So that's where the black market comes in. Uh, for example, one pretty huge example of what the black market can do for this type of products, even though there isn't a different category, it's what's happened in Panama. In Panama, you can find 90% of the cigarettes that are smoked being supplied by the mark, uh, black market. In Costa Rica, you can find 60% of the cigarettes that are being uh, smoked by people here, uh, supplied by the black 
market. So when it comes to Latin America, we do have a problem with black markets. We do have a problem with uh, how to police this kind of stuff because uh, the frontiers or the the people actually bringing this stuff in under the table, it's pretty massive. It is quite an economy, I believe. Well, it's amazing. I mean, it just sounds like to me that, well, if you want to get a vape, call your drug dealer. Pretty much, yeah. You can do that, of course. In Latin America, we have a problem with with the black market pretty much in any category. You can see that um, there's a huge economy that is pretty much derived where depending on the legal importing of goods. and uh, But when it comes to vaping products and uh, harm reduction alternatives, what we do see is that uh, the market kind of regulate himself, even though when uh, when the country have banned these alternatives, uh, they regulate themselves. They're trying to bring good products or they try to take good products to their country, uh, trying to find quality products as well. For example, what it happened in Argentina, that the industry itself is self-regulated and they kind of look after each other. So they're really um, directly involved with the consumer Telling them or actually requesting advice or, um, you know, this product good, uh, kind of doing even they test their products by themselves to make sure that it's a quality product. Uh, even though that you see this aggressive counterpart that is the government trying to buy, uh, blocking the entrance of these products and blocking the industry as a whole, the industry itself is looking for a way to actually make things right. And they have done it. There's a lot of stores that uh, recently I got to meet with a few uh, shop owners in Argentina and they self-regulate. They make sure that everything is on rule, not with Argentina, but with some other countries, right? They look at the reports, they look at the quality, uh, they look for quality ingredients, they look for quality products when it comes to uh, the electric devices, right? The batteries, they look for genuine and original products to make sure that everything is gonna be uh, the safest possible for the end consumer. So tell us about ARDT Ibero America. What is this organization of consumer organizations? What what does it do? ARDT Ibero America, it's a kind of an umbrella for all consumer organizations uh, in Latin America, in Spain and Portugal. So pretty much any uh, any country that is Spanish speaking is a Spanish speaking country. So you can find uh, there's 17 organizations so far. What we do is kind of cooperate within each other. One curious thing about Latin America is that it's so visible that what happens on one country, it takes less than a day and it's happening in another country. For example, if you see the misinformation that has been uh, distributed in, let's say, Costa Rica, you can see that in hours is in Peru. And then after some hours is in Chile. And then a few hours um, later, you can uh, see it in Colombia. And it is kind of a, we're so close, um, at least on the, and how the media is managing this and that it is visible, or is, it is easier for um, consumer organizations to stay really close to uh, other countries because we help each other, right? Uh, we put our efforts together to be able to counteract or, um, you know, to fight this immense 
amount of misinformation that we're receiving from the media constantly. Now, how do you do that you know, pushback and how effective has it been? Um, well, we think that we have been effective. I think we have been able to correct a lot of misperceptions from the uh, from uh, different organizations, especially Bloomberg funded entities uh, that actually kind of release uh, bogus or misinformation deliberately, I think. Um, and we have been able to include ourselves in many conversations now. For example, Mexico recently, they have a forum on the Senate because um, it's kind of their parliament as well uh, on another forum, yeah, um, that include the voices of different consumer organizations related to harm reduction products. So we're, we're getting there that our voices are being included. Um, Chile is one example uh, with Ignacio and the whole um, community in Chile. They have been able to include their voices, include uh, their argument into a bill that has been proposed uh, to regulate vaping devices there. I think that is going out really well. Uh, for example, in Peru, um, you can find Jorge and Asobape Peru. Um, they're including their voices on bills that are being proposed. Uh, so they're getting their arguments out to be considered by regulators. On Colombia, you can find Francisco that is fighting uh, on a bill as well to regulate um, harm reduction products, and especially in Colombia, uh, to regulate nicotine by itself, right? Not caring about the delivery method, but nicotine by itself. So they can open uh, to a different possibilities when it comes to nicotine pouches and heated tobacco products, and not only e-cigarettes. So it's, a, it's an interesting project there. Uh, Mexico is fighting like crazy, and I have to give my applause to the Mexican uh, consumer advocates because they're given a tough, tough fight. Uh, this present time, there's three consumer organizations there where that includes consumers, and they have been finally fighting tirelessly, you know, they've been fighting constantly in order to get their voices heard. So it sounds like to me that at least in some of these countries that you just mentioned, that government may actually be listening to the consumer advocates for vaping products. I won't go that far, Brent, <laughs> but at least we have managed to include our voices somehow, somewhere or the other. Uh, we have, you know, there have been rallies, for example, on Chile, on Colombia, on Mexico, multiple rallies, because we're kind of demanding our voices to be heard, right? Um, I think that we're definitely approaching to a moment that the science is so solid that it cannot be ignored, right? And uh, as a consumer advocate, you know, we can see how the needle is shifting a little bit from what happened, uh, you know, from years ago. Now we're seeing more and more people jumping on the boat of harm reduction. And I think that's, you know, as Alex Wodak said, uh, harm reduction wins at the end, always. And uh, I think that is what is happening at this present time. You know, we're kind of getting there. Perhaps it's going to take us some time more to get to, an, uh, you know, a, a better place, regulatory speaking. But we're definitely walking on the right direction, I think, on some places and um, on some other places that we still have a pretty good, uh, strong, you know, a, a battle to be fight, uh, to be fought there's people that are willing to fight that battle. And then globally, uh, you're director of social media for INCO, which is the global organization of organizations 
of consumer advocates. It's just awesome. It's kind of like one of those dolls where you just, you know open it up. There's another one inside. You open it up. It's it's a really great layering, right? To be able to do that. Um, so with Inco, you just came back from Portugal for a, a big addictions conference there, and you folks made a presentation. Just quickly tell us about that conference and what this presentation was all about. We participated in Lisbon Addictions 2022. Um, the conference is related to harm reduction on drugs, on HIV, on AIDS, on hepatitis, pretty much in every category, right? Um, there we uh, present we present um, the preliminary results from um, uh, a survey and a study that we're preparing, right? That is about harassment and intimidation to our advocates or harm reduction advocate uh, that has been perpetuated by Bloomberg funded entities. So it is pretty interesting that the results are gonna be available soon as well for the whole the whole study, right, uh, hopefully. And uh, it was a pretty good experience. You know, when you get to Lisbon, you see these people that are, you know, so committed to harm reduction and they're starting to incorporate the, um, harm reduction and for people who smoke tobacco as well. So you did uh, you did see, uh, for example, um, a panel discussion from Cochrane talking about heated tobacco products and e-cigarettes. Uh, you can uh, you found, for example, Carl Lund or Caitlin Nutley talking about vaping products and regulation of these products and how it can actually benefit public health. So it it is really interesting to see how we're going now horizontal when it comes to harm reduction, you know, incorporating uh, in some other fields, which I think is pretty important because, you know, we cannot be only on our echo chamber. We have to expand for more people to know about this. The science is solid. So I think there's in the, in the eyes of a lot of people more than ever before. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely curious that if you talk to traditional harm reduction advocates, many of them who are smokers or are still smokers, and they have the same misperceptions around vaping as the normal regular Joe out there. And it's quite interesting uh, to see that. Everything is a process, you know, and like any other people, they are susceptible to misinformation on media, right? And we have to be honest, Brent, uh, on media, you can find a bunch of junk uh, junk science and misinformation regarding this product. So they're susceptible to that misinformation as well. Obviously, when you get a panel discussion with Cochrane, uh, Cochrane that is kind of the standard for uh, investigation when it comes to health practices and um, um, and science pretty much, <laughs> right? Uh, you can see that the science is solid. So it's turning a few heads already. I think that the harm reduction in spectrum uh, will include sometime or other uh, the um, tobacco harm reduction, even though that I don't like to call it tobacco harm reduction because I don't like to divide it between the whole harm reduction movement. I do think that is harm reduction for people who smoke tobacco, right? And like any other harm reduction approach, it is based on love and empathy. And I think that's what is gonna win the at the end. Jeffrey, you're also working on a documentary called Hashtag Safer. Tell us about that. As part of the KAC scholarship uh, program, um, I'm working on a documentary that is called Safer, that is pretty much about um, 
safer alternatives on countries that they have banned them. For example, uh, we had just complete shooting the episode on Argentina, um, where we met with a lot of people that are working on the harm reduction side, for example, uh, Facundo Eiling and Dr. Diego Berrastro. Um, we're trying to highlight their lives, how they're fighting for harm reduction alternatives, even though that there have been you know, uh, prohibited and were banned in the country. So it is kind of get to have their stories out. Let let people know that there's actually persons, you know, behind this. Right? It's not only it's not only science. It's not only a movement. It's not only industry. It's actually people that are committed to helping out some others. And um, you know, harm reduction, like I said before, is is based on empathy and love and compassion. And those people that uh, I had the pleasure of speaking with, at least on the first episode, uh, they're full of it. They're full of uh, compassion. They're full of love, to, And they're really committed to that goal of saving so many lives in their country. And they're fighting a tough war every single day. And they're not getting paid for it. They're just doing it out of empathy, out of the hope that they can save so many lives that are, you know, they're dying on every single day on Argentina, for example, in this episode. And so that's uh, what you're doing as a scholar then as a part of the KAC program? Yes, that is correct. I'm part of the KAC scholarship, enhanced scholarship program, um, being uh, mentored by uh, John Derricott, uh, Chim, that I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name because I can't. And <laughs> so it, it is quite interesting. Those guys are amazing. Uh, the scholarship program is amazing for any person that has been interested in um, getting, you know, have a, an idea that they want to develop and will need some uh, financial assistance to be able to carry that idea. I do recommend a lot getting into the program or trying to see if they can apply for the program because it's a great program. You get a lot of mentoring, a lot of coaching, a lot of knowledge when it comes to harm reduction and the possibilities to start a career in the harm reduction side. Now, speaking of uh, the global harm reduction movement, the Global Forum on Nicotine will be coming up again in June of next year. We just came back from it and, and had some great coverage. Have you been to that, uh, to GFN? And if so, why is it an important event? It is a really important event, to be honest. I think the whole conversations are uh, are really needed, especially on the time that we are right now. Uh, we are approaching COP10. So I think that probably it is the most important moment to have um, you know all the ar arguments solid, uh, have the knowledge to be able to debate what is going on and to include our voices. Uh, it is really important for the whole uh, community to get involved. Um, the Global Forum of Nicotine is, it's, it's an event that you can, you just by entering and hearing these guys speak because you're gonna hear brilliant people there. For example, uh, Gary Stimson, uh, Clive Bates, uh, so many people that are, you know, I can even stop mentioning because the Brad Rodo, uh, alone, Charles Gardner, uh, Angeles Montadas that is part of INCO as well. There's so much knowledge when it comes not only to science, 
but how how to debate things. So it is really important people to get involved, to get to to participate in the forum because they will they will grow um, on their arguments, on their bases, on, on how to debate what is going on. I had the opportunity to be on a panel discussion this last GFN with Clyde Bates, with Fiona Patton, with Joseph Maguero. And it was a great panel. We discussed a lot about what is happening on LMICs, uh, low and middle income countries. It is really important to get our facts straight, to be able to have the, uh, the basis that we need, the knowledge that we need in order to be able to include our arguments, especially to get involved with regulators and people that are making the, uh, the calls when it comes to bills and, and laws to be passed or not passed within our countries. Jeffrey, is this fight winnable? We are winning, so it is winnable. Actually, we're winning, even though that is, it doesn't appear like that. Uh, at this present time, around, let's say, 72 countries have regulated harm reduction. Uh, there's 112 million people using harm reduction products. And uh, even though that our smoking is still smoking is still the biggest threat, uh, we're not communicable disease, avoidable communicable disease. Uh, I think that we'll still have a chance to save a billion people in our lifetime. I do think that the the knowledge is being spread. Uh, I do think that a lot of people are jumping in the background of harm reduction. I do think that every day that passes by, more people actually start doubting about the misinformation that they're receiving on the media. And uh, I do think that this we're, uh, this war could be one at the end. Is we just have to we just have to devote it ourselves. We just have to fight. We just have to be, you know, continue, continue. Uh, like I said before, this is a matter of love and empathy and compassion. And that always wins. 